Thanks for listening to the podcast from Gary Combs and the preaching team at Eastgate Church in Wilson, North Carolina. Check us out on the web at eastgate.church for more. And now, here's the sermon. Good morning, church. Before we begin our series through the book of Romans, I wanted to make you aware of uh, what happened this past Wednesday night. This past Wednesday night, we were able to join other churches in, in Wilson in paying off the mortgage for Choices Women's Center. So check out that photo, pop that photo up there, and there we are presenting that check to pay off the mortgage. Uh, and so we're so happy and, and thankful for your generosity as a church so that our church could participate in doing that, so that that ministry there now, uh, all, the, all the proceeds of the uh, generosity that people give to that, to that ministry uh, no longer has to go towards the mortgage. They can all go towards helping women. And so we're thankful for that, and we're thankful for your generosity that we could be part of that, collaborating with other churches to do that. Uh, and so we're thankful to that. Well, we're continuing our series through the book of Romans today, uh, and we're coming up on the end of this series, and we're in chapter 16, the final chapter. We've, over the last four years, taken four chapters a year, verse by verse, and now we're getting close. We have this message and one more message next week, and we will have preached through the whole book of Romans, and we're thankful for that. And we're in a, in a section of, of, of the letter, as all letters conclude, they, they tend to have more personal references, more personal greetings, and so we've entitled this Greetings and Commendations. This message, Greetings and Commendations. And many who preach through the book of, of Romans decide to skip over this section because it seems to them as a mere list of names, mostly unknown names, uh, that the Apostle Paul commends and, and, and sends greetings to. And so there's really not a lot of propositional truth or prescriptive advice given here. And so people uh, that preach through it tend to skip over it and, and find it unpreachable. But we're going to preach it anyway. Because as we look at this passage, we see an example from Paul with his affection, uh, the way he talks to uh, the, the members of the church in Rome. We see something we can learn from. And so we're going to be looking at it through that lens, this idea of how we can offer greetings and commendations to our fellow believers in this church. Now, you may think you know how to greet people, uh, but I've observed that it takes some training and practice to really know how to do that. Uh, because people tend to uh, either, maybe you're an introvert, and you're like, I really I just, I feel uncomfortable. Or maybe you're an extrovert, but you end up talking about yourself instead of really listening to the other person. So it takes, it takes some training, it takes some uh, learning. I remember teaching our three children how to greet adults. And maybe if you're a parent, you know how that works. And, and so when your child is little, they don't exactly know what to say. And so you teach them manners. And with their firstborn, as in most firstborns, he really wanted to please his parents. And so he, he, was, a, he was an extra, uh, uh, you know, working hard at whatever we told him to do. So if we told him to say, yes, sir, hello, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am, he would say it all. In fact, by the time he was four years old, he was so advanced at greeting people that we taught him to do it in French. And so little four-year-old Stephen, he'd be like, bonjour, comment allez-vous, s'il vous plaît? He could do that because, you know, he was an overachiever firstborn. And, but then we got to our second child, our son Jonathan, and uh, he had this little scratchy old man's voice. He was just naturally 
gifted as a comedian, like from the time he was born. And so uh, he, would, he would do what we told him to do. He would greet people like he was supposed to do it, but he would like call them a nickname or something, or he'd do something with his face or something that would just cause people to laugh. But he was good at it. He was just natural at being with people. But then we got to our youngest, our daughter Erin. It was a different story. We, we taught her how to do it, but she would just refuse to talk to people. She would just stare at them. And so when we first planned the church, she was five years old, and, and we would have people uh, coming to say good morning to me as they were leaving the church, and I would be standing at the back door of the, of the facility we were renting at that time, and my daughter Erin, she's five years old, she'd be standing right beside of me. And as people maybe be a first-time guest, they would see her, and they would go, oh, what a pretty little girl. Hello, honey, what's your name? And she would just give them this look like, like that right there. And, they, and people would get intimidated by her. She was just like... Just look at them, you know, just stare at them. She wouldn't say a word. And she would just like hug my leg, like put her arms around my leg and just stare at people. I, we, probably, we probably had visitors that never came back because of that intimidating little brown-eyed five-year-old girl just like looking at them. It took her longer to learn to greet people, but she finally learned. And uh, she was attending the first service this morning. I had her wave at everybody. She was really thankful that I did that. And, and said, hey, make sure you say something to Erin. She's really good at greeting now. And uh, she, she learned how. Do you know how to greet people? Do you understand uh, that it's, it's as much about listening to them and, and really hearing them than it is anything? Maybe you're here this morning and um, you're struggling with what a lot of people in America are struggling with today, a sense of loneliness. I'm, I'm seeing that more and more, that people just are so disconnected. There's such disunity in our, in our country today. And I really hope and pray today that you have a sense of welcome, a sense of greeting from our fellow believers today. And I hope that somebody here today says good morning to you and really listens to you. And if at any rate, I want you to hear this, that the Lord Jesus welcomes you today. The Holy Spirit, the Father welcomes you today so that you are greeted in the name of the Lord. In the book of Romans, chapter 16, the Apostle Paul closes his letter. He begins to close his letter with, with greetings and commendations to the believers in the Lord Jesus there at the church of Rome. And I believe today that we can learn how to really greet people as members of Christ's body in the church. And as we look at the text, I think we'll see three ways how we can do this. So let's look at the text. And as I read this, there are 27 names, okay, 27 names. So pray for me as I uh, pronounce these. But, but I, here's what I always say. I understand why preachers speak, skip over this section. It might just be they don't want to read it. Uh, uh, but every name matters to God. Every name matters to God. So let's just see what the Holy Spirit would teach us as we read through this and study this together today. I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Sincray, that you may welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints, and help her in whatever she may need from you. For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risked their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. Greet also the church in their house. Greet my beloved Epinatus, who was the first convert in Christ to Asia. Greet Mary, who has worked hard for you. Greet Andronicus and Junia, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners. They are well known to the apostles, and they were in Christ before me. Greet Impliatus, my beloved in the Lord. Greet Urbanus, and uh, our fellow worker in Christ, and my beloved Stachus. Greet Apelles, 
who is approved in Christ. Greet those who belong to the family of Aristobulus. Greet my kinsman Herodion. Greet those in the Lord who belong to the family of Narcissus. Greet those workers in the Lord, Tryphena and Tryphosa. Greet the beloved Persis, who has worked hard in the Lord. Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, also his mother, who has been a mother to me as well. Greet Asyncritus, Phlegon, Hermes, Patrobas, Hermas, and the brothers who are with them. Greet Philologus, Julia, Neuros, and his sister, uh, and his sister, and Olympus, and all the saints who are with them. Greet one another with a holy kiss. All the churches of Christ greet you. This is God's Word. I told you there were some names in this. And perhaps you understand why some skip over this, but we're not going to skip over it today because people matter to God. And there's something to be learned here as we consider the way Paul greets them. How to greet one another in the Lord. Here's the first way. As family members loving one another in Christ. We are to greet one another as family members loving one another in Christ. Look at verse 1. I commend to you our sister. First of all, he says, I've sent to you our sister. She's my sister and your sister in the Lord. Her name is Phoebe. I commend her to you, our sister. And then he look, you look down at verse 7. Uh, Adronicus and Junia, my kinsmen. Notice these familial names. Uh, notice the name Rufus down in verse 13. How his mother, the mother of Rufus, was as a mother to Paul. He, 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 he probably went over and had some chicken soup at that house sometime in the past. And she just mothered him. And he recognized that now they live uh, in Rome. Notice all the family references in the passage we just read. Also notice the word beloved that's in there four times. Verse 5, 8, 9, 12 describing certain people that Paul says, I really, this person is well loved by me. This is affectionate language. This is family language. This is the way we are to greet one another in the Lord. The church is not the steeple. The church is the people. It's the family of God. And that's what we can see here is just the affection that Paul has for this church. He's never visited this church in Rome, but he knows all these people, probably because... um, For one thing, the Roman Empire was easily traveled. People were very mobile during this age because of the Roman roads, which were so well built. To this day, you can go there and see the evidence of the Roman roads. And also because of the Roman law legal system that made it safer to travel. And so Paul had been a a pastor and a missionary for, for like 30 years at this point. He probably encountered these people in his travels in previous times. And so he knew all these people. He'd never been there, but he knew all these people. The first person he talks about is Phoebe. Her name uh, means radiant. The The name Phoebe means shining, radiant, bright. And she's only mentioned here in this one place. It's all we know about her is what he says. But he has a couple of verses to spend on her. He says that uh, he commends her. The word commend has to do, I stand behind her. In other words, Paul says, I'm putting my name on the line for her. And the way this is placed so prominent in the letter, it appears, and most theologians agree, that Phoebe must have been the one who carried the letter to Rome. She must have been the one. Paul wrote the letter in Corinth, and and he's already said, as we read last week, he hasn't had time to go visit yet. In fact, he's getting ready to head to Jerusalem from Corinth, and it's going to be a while before he gets to Rome. But he he wanted them to get this letter. And it appears that he entrusted this letter, this, this magnificent, this magnus opus of his 
theological writings on the gospel, he gives it to this woman, Phoebe. He entrusts the letter to her, and he goes, I commend her to you. She's brought this letter for me. Receive her as you would receive me. I stand, that word, come in, I stand behind her. She's a servant of the church at Sincre. Now, if we encounter a place name in the Bible, what must we do, church? We must look at a map. That's right. So if you look at this map, you'll see this. And you'll see where I put a red circle around this area in the region of Achaia. And you can see that Sincre, uh, which the Greeks pronounce it with a hard C, Kincre is how they say it. It's right next to Corinth, and it's a seaport town, a smaller town than Corinth. It's a seaport area. And so apparently Paul knew her, knew Phoebe, because she'd lived prior here. And she's probably a... Uh, a wealthy businesswoman. Uh, why do you say that, Gary? Well, let's look at some of the hints that he gives us. He says that she was a patron. You see that in verse 2? For she has been a patron of many and of myself as well. Now, what's, when I hear the word patron in modern English today, he was a patron of the arts, which means a supporter, a financial supporter and one who talked about it. But it has the idea of to support financially and to support by word and deed. And so she was a supporter of Paul's ministry. Uh, so, so he says this about her. He, he says that uh, you are to welcome her in the Lord in a way worthy of the saints. He thinks highly of this woman. She might have been already going on a business trip. She might have been a prominent wealthy woman who was already headed to Rome and Paul says, oh, oh, can you carry this letter for me? And she agrees to do it. And so it seems that she might have had something that she needed help with, he says, because, and help her in whatever she may need from you. Because she's been one who's helped us. She's been a patron to us. And so maybe she had some legal issue in Rome or some business issue that she might have needed help with. And Paul's basically saying, help her just like you would have helped me. And so treat her like a member of your family. She's our sister in the Lord. I want you to treat her that way. Now, as we look through those 27 names, I would have you take note of this. It begins with a woman named Phoebe, and as you go through that uh, list of 27 names, at least eight of those names are, are women of the 27. There might be a ninth one. Junia may have been a woman as well. It's in the Greek neuter, so it's hard to tell if that was a male or a female. Uh, but there's at least eight, maybe nine women named here. Now, why is that important? Well, first, I would say to you that, that Paul often gets a bum rap by the modern uh, cultural view of, of Scripture. The people view Paul because he's the one who, who taught that a woman shouldn't be an authority over a man or shouldn't teach a man, as he, as he, as he wrote in the book of 1 Timothy. And, and they view him as being maybe a little harsh sometimes and, and kind of misogynist, uh, anti-woman. But here we are in this chapter, and Paul goes against the grain of that culture and names prominent women and entrusts a woman to carry his letter, this, this wonderful letter. And so we see here that the rap he's gotten today is indeed a bum rap. He's been libeled. He is a man who both greets and commends and is affectionate towards women, recognizing their partnership for the gospel. Don't miss it, and don't allow yourself to view what took place in the first century through a 21st century lens. The culture was different, and the truth is this, that Christianity has, in all religion and in all times in human history, has been the great liberator of women. 
And so Paul commends and celebrates women in this chapter that he writes to, to Rome. And so notice a couple more things. This idea of patron, this idea of supporter of Paul's ministry, this was not uncommon in the first century for prominent wealthy women, women of means, to do this. Remember, uh, the book of uh, Luke reports that there were women who supported Jesus and his disciples. And they are actually named in Luke chapter 8. It says Mary Magdalene, uh, Joanna, who was whose husband was Herod's household manager, she was a prominent woman, and Susanna, uh, they provided for Jesus and his disciples out of their means. And so this idea of supporting ministry, uh, women were well known for that in Jesus' day. Paul later met a woman in Philippi when he was on his second missionary journey, and he he went down to the river and he saw uh, women there washing their clothes and, and some of them praying. And he met this woman, a Jewish woman named Lydia. And the scripture says that she was a uh, trader, a seller of purple cloth, which was highly expensive cloth. And so she was a wealthy woman and, and Paul shared the gospel with her. She came to Christ and, and she invited Paul to start the first church in Philippi in her house. And so he did. And so we see that Lydia was a patron of the gospel, a supporter of the gospel. And so we see this. I bring all this to bear to make you aware of how women had such an important part, of an important role to play in the early church. He says to welcome her, help her, because she has helped me. And he uses these words. I mentioned that he says the word beloved over and over again four times here. It's the Greek word agapetos. It means one who is loved unconditionally. He, he loves, he, he says it four different times. He says it about Epinetus, Ampliatus, Stachus, and, and Persis. And Persis, by the way, the name Persis, it's a female name, it's a feminine name, means Persian woman. And he says, my beloved Persis. Uh, just think about this. Here's, here's Paul, a Jewish man, writing in Greek from the city of Corinth to a woman from Persia. See, that's what the church looks like, friends. It's multicultural, all made one through Jesus Christ, one family. In fact, this is what we read through the book of Ephesians about the family. God decided, this is Ephesians chapter 1, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. This is what he wanted to do, and it gave him great pleasure. We're a family. We're God's family. That's what the church is. We're a family. And therefore, we see this in 1 Peter, respect everyone and love the family of believers. We're called to be affectionate towards one another. We are brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, fathers and mothers in Jesus Christ. That's the way we're called to be. Some time back, our church helped a woman who, whose husband passed away. We, we did the funeral service, and she didn't have a lot of means. We actually had to help her somewhat with the funeral expenses. Uh, we set up a, a meal chain and helped feed her family. And uh, we found out that she had some uh, things around the house that needed help and some, some uh, errands needed to be done, some unfinished chores that her husband, who had been sick, was unable to accomplish. And so some of the men in the church went and worked on things around her house and in her yard. And after a period of time, her and her husband and her family, her kids, they had moved from another state, so they didn't really have any family in the Wilson area. And she says to me, she says... 
Even if my family did live in the city, they would not have been as good to me, as good to my kids, as you have been. What a wonderful, wonderful church this is. You are now dearer to me than my own family. You see, that's what the church looks like when it's at its best. It treats one another as brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, fathers and mothers, that we are God's family. If only the world could see such a church. This is the way we are to greet one another as family, loving each other as God loves us. Well, that's the first way that we're taught here by just looking at the example of this chapter. Here's the second, as faithful servants, supporting one another in Christ. As faithful servants, supporting one another. Notice the word servant in verse 1, describing Phoebe. We see the word servant there. It's the Greek word diakonos. It's where we get the word deacon. It's not meant here in the formal sense as in an office in the church. No, here it just is rightly translated a servant because that's what it means, one who serves. And so she is one who served, not in the formal office, but in the particular, perhaps just in the fact that she served the church at Sincre and also served in carrying this letter. Uh, from Paul to the Roman believers. And she was a patron, as we've mentioned. And, and which brings us to this next couple, if you will, in verse 3. Uh, God's power couple here. We have Prisca and Aquila, uh, also known as Priscilla. Prisca, Prisca was probably the formal use of the name. Priscilla is more the diminutive version, like her close friends and family would call her Priscilla. But Prisca is probably the formal use of the name. And uh, notice here that she's named first. It's not always that case. Is that they're, This power couple is listed in the Bible six times. Prominent in Paul's, uh, on one, as one of his teams. But, but here she's listed first, possibly because she had more uh, in the ministry than Aquila. Aquila may have been more running the tent-making side of the business, but she might have been more prominent in the ministry side. But she is listed here first. Uh, she was a faithful servant, and so was Aquila. We first hear about them in Acts chapter 18. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. That's the same couple. This is where he first meets them, is in Corinth. They'd been, they'd been driven out of Rome by the Roman uh, emperor, uh, Caesar Claudius. And so they had moved to uh, Corinth, and, and Paul heard about them. Paul, uh, when he first got to Corinth, he was there all alone. He had left Luke and Timothy and Silas behind in Berea to do follow-up on the believers that had come to Christ there. And he'd come all the way down through Athens to Corinth, and he's by himself. And he kind of moves in with, with Aquila and Priscilla. And, and lo and behold, we find out that Paul's father must have been one of those kind of dads that said, I know you want to be a rabbi my son. And, and, and you probably are smart enough to qualify for that, but you know the rabbi business doesn't pay that well. I want you to have a fallback, my son. 
And so you must apprentice to the tent making trade. So, so who knew? You know, Paul ends up, he's this great intellect. He goes and lives in Jerusalem. He studies at what would be the equivalent of Jewish Harvard. He studies under the great rabbi Gamaliel, the Bible says. Not many students would this man take. He was considered the greatest rabbi of his generation. And so Paul studies under him and he's zealous and he's a great intellect. But he had a fallback. And who knew? He needed it all of a sudden. Here he is by himself, and he goes to work in the tent-making trade with Aquila and Priscilla. He leads them to Christ, and they become this great missionary team. They become fellow servants, faithful servants, supporting one another. And so Paul's able to really focus. He says a few other things about Prisca and Aquila, Priscilla and Aquila. He says they're fellow workers, they're fellow servants. They risk their necks for my life. That's where we get that phrase, by the way. There's so many uh, idioms in modern English that come from the Bible. If you read the Bible, you'll discover a lot of the things we say, little idioms that we have, like risking your neck, comes from the Bible. They risk your necks. We're not sure what Paul was referring to. Perhaps he was referring to that riot that broke out in Ephesus some years uh, later, uh, some years before, rather. Because what happened was when they were in the city of Corinth, we, we find out that Paul says, hey, you want to go with me to the city of Ephesus and help me follow up some believers, the work I did in Ephesus a while back? And sure enough, they left their business, and they, they became missionaries with Paul. And, and, and in Acts chapter 19, we see that, that they were there. They went with Paul to the city of Ephesus. They actually caught a boat down there at Sincre and went over there and began to help him. And then a riot broke out in Ephesus because Paul's preaching and the church became so persuasive, people stopped buying the little idols, the little figurines of the uh, goddess Diana. Because Ephesus had this Acropolis up on the mountain that had this huge temple that was considered one of the seven wonders of the world. The, the temple to Diana. And it was a seaport city, so sailors would come in from all over uh, the known world, and they would buy these little gold and silver figurines of, of Diana. And so the, the artisans there made a very profitable, profitable tourism business selling these figurines. But because of Paul's preaching, uh, saying that there is no true God named Diana, there's only one God, and He's the Father of all, and Jesus, His Son, is the way you can know Him. People were getting saved. And the business was going down. It was starting to hit their pocketbooks. And so um, there was a trade union there for this, this, the silversmiths and the goldsmiths. And they started a riot in Ephesus. It's in the Bible, by the way. This is Acts chapter 19. They started a riot. And they started running through the streets going, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And people went, Okay, it's, it's, it looks like, like fun. And, and it broke out. And they went into the stadium there that seated 25,000 people. And I've been there. The ruins of that stadium are still present. In fact, they still do dramas and concerts in that stadium. It's built into the side of a mountain. 25,000 seats. And so they went into the stadium and they're rioting and they're yelling, great is Diana of the Ephesians. And Paul says, I need to go in there and talk to them. And I believe what happened right there, because the scripture says that his friends held him back. I believe probably right there was Aquila and Priscilla and they knew how Paul rolled. They're like, we can't let Paul go in there. He'll get killed in there. And they held him back. It might have been that day that they risked their lives. We're not sure, but some believe that might have been the specific incident when that took place. He says, I give thanks for them, for their tent-making business, for their support, for the fact that they went on the mission field with me, that they helped. 
In fact, when they were in Ephesus, Paul moved on and left them behind for a little while. And this other evangelist showed up. He was, he was a Greek believer named Apollos. And Apollos showed up, and the Bible says he was great as a, as a speaker, but he had some doctrine that wasn't quite right. He was still preaching uh, the baptism of John, the Baptist. He didn't know about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He didn't know about the baptism in Christ Jesus. And so they heard him teaching in the synagogue, uh, uh, Aquila and Priscilla, and they invited him over for lunch. And they put their arms around him, and they corrected him, and they taught him the, the doctrine that Paul had taught them. And Apollos was corrected. And Apollos received the correction and, and, and actually continued preaching as they had uh, contributed to his ministry. That's who this couple is. And now they've moved from Ephesus back to Rome, which was really where they were from, right? And as we look, it says, greet also the church. This is verse 5. Greet also the church in their house. Well, they had a house church in Corinth. They had a house church in Ephesus. And now they have a house church in Rome. You know what these people are? They're committed to small groups. They're committed to having a church in their house. I hope you are too. I hope you're committed to being in our community group uh, system that we have at our church where, where church really happens, where family really takes place. And they were committed. No matter what, what city they lived in, they had, they had a church in their house. That's just how they rolled. That's who these, these people uh, were. Uh, that's how uh, they lived their lives. Now, why were they able to go back to Rome? Because, Gary, didn't you say that Claudius kicked them out? Well, Claudius has passed away now. He passed away in October 54 A.D. He passed away. And the story that was told was that his wife, Agrippina, poisoned his mushrooms because she... Well, that's, that's a tough situation. When your wife... That was a, supposedly Cla, uh, Claudius's favorite meal was mushrooms. And so she poisoned his mushrooms, and he passed away, and his nephew Nero became uh, the Caesar of Rome. And so now Claudius is not there, but, uh, but now uh, Priscilla and Aquila are. And so we see that they're able to return to Rome. Here's some thoughts to th consider as we think about being faithful servants together. Remember the parable that Jesus taught and the commendation he gave to the faithful. It says, His master said to him, this is Matthew 25, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Boy, I hope I hear that commendation someday, don't you, from Jesus. You know, you don't have to work to earn uh, his salvation. But it's appropriate, it's appropriate to be a fellow servant of the one who gave us all that he had in order to save us. And so I want to hear that someday, don't you? Well done, good and faithful servant. Paul, or excuse me, Peter says this in his first epistle. God has given each of you a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them to serve one another. You know, one of the ways that we, we should look at each other as family, we've said, but also as fellow servants, that we are servants of Christ Jesus. And we use our gifts to serve one another. And this is one of the ways that we grow closer to God and closer to each other. Some years ago, uh, I was signed up for a well-needed pastor's conference. And as uh, I'd gone through a season in the church where there'd been some difficulty in the church, and I had not been able to get away for a retreat for several years. 
And I told a couple of men in the church about this, like, pray for me. I get paranoid when I get ready to leave town because I'm just afraid something will go wrong and I won't be able to go. But I really, I really feel like I need this. And so it's sometimes true. Sometimes you have to retreat to advance. You know what I mean? You have to pull away, but get along with God. And I'm no exception. So I got in my car, a little Ford Tempo, and I'm driving up the interstate towards this conference. And I get, I get an hour and a half away, and the thing just starts making this horrible clanking sound, and the, it just dies. And I pull over on the interstate, and I'm not far, I'm like less than a mile from an exit. And so I just get out and start walking. And I walk, and I find a gas station off that exit, and I, and I walk in there, and I find a payphone. You remember when there was this thing called payphones? I found a payphone. And I, 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 dropped a, I dropped a quarter in there and called one of the men that I had uh, been praying with, one of my prayer partners in the church, part of my small group. And I called him and I said, man, doesn't look like I'm going to make this conference. I, if, if, if you or somebody, you could call somebody to help me out. I don't want to bother Robin because she's got the kids. The kids were small then. And, and I just need somebody to come get me. I'm not going to be able to make the conference. My car broke down. And he goes, you stay right there. I'll be right there. And so he drives the hour and a half. And then here comes two cars pulling into the parking lot. And it was him and another friend from our small group, two men. They pulled two cars into the parking lot. And they pull in there. And, and, and one of them just hands me the keys and says, here, you get, in, you get in my car. I'll ride back with him. You get in my car and you, you get to that conference. We'll, we'll make sure your car gets towed back to Wilson, and we'll figure that out. I said, I can't do that. I, that's too much, guys. That's too much. That's just too much. You better do it, because we done drove all the way up here. And so, so I did. These were fellow servants. They recognized, and they loved their pastor, and they loved me as their brother in the Lord. And they inconvenienced themselves to serve me. And I was able to go to the conference and the con man, I took notes. I leaned in on everything because I realized it wasn't just me that it cost something. It cost me and those two men something for me to be there. And when I got back, they had my car towed all the way back to a, uh, a dealer here uh, in the Wilson area where I could go and get that worked out. They made it so easy for me to do that. You know, there's nothing like being the church. Have you ever been the recipient of of being part of the church, of being a fellow servant in the church. Sometimes it's your turn to serve, and sometimes, and this is harder for people like me, sometimes it's your turn to receive service. But we're the family of God, and we're fellow servants. Are you a servant? If you want to be on this list that Paul commends, it means you're part of the family, but it also means that you're a fellow servant, that you're serving the Lord. Here's the third way. We've talked about being... Uh, family, we've talked about being fellow servants, as fellow workers enduring hardship together in Christ. As fellow workers, you're like, what's the difference between fellow servants and fellow workers? Not much, but the major difference that I wanted to bring out was we were talking more about the support in the second way. Here, it's the hardship, enduring hardship together that I want to emphasize. As fellow workers enduring hardship together. You know, that's one of the things I would say that concerns me about the, the modern Western church is that it's so easy to be a Christian here. You don't have to risk your neck to be a follower. That a certain kind of malaise, a certain kind of uh, laziness um, gets into us to where we, we don't even want to get out of our comfort zone. We're not even sure we want to keep the regular rhythm of meeting together, what I would call a weekly family reunion on Sundays. We, we've forgotten the importance of just making room in our schedule for each other. 
And so, uh, but here, Paul commends his fellow workers who endure hardship. Notice in verse 3 and 9, he, he talks about uh, fellow workers. In verses 6 and 12, he refers to a couple of people who worked hard. He, he emphasizes that they were hard workers. And then, of course, as we've said of Aquila and Priscilla, even risking their necks for me. And then in verse 7, he mentions uh, Adronicus and, and, and Junia who went to prison with him. This is what he's, he's noting in this passage. is the, These are people that I, I commend them because they're on the team. They're so much on the team that they risked their lives for me. They went to jail with me. That's, that's how Paul's talking right here. I, I, I want their names in this letter because they're important to God and they're important to me. Because they don't give up. They, they get out of their comfort zones for God. And so he's, he's just pointing this out here. They, they endure hardship together. Uh, now, as we look at a couple of these items, like Andronicus and Junia here, it says, uh, my kinsmen and my fellow prisoners, this is verse 7, uh, greet them. Uh, kinsmen might mean they're Jewish. That's probably true. Uh, they're my fellow Jewish uh, uh, believers, background believers, and my fellow prisoners. Now, we're not sure what prison sentence he's referring to here because we can find maybe three imprisonments in the New Testament where Paul was imprisoned. He was, in, he was jailed three times. You know, you can think about, okay, he was jailed at Philippi. He was publicly beating, beaten, him and Silas, at a whipping post in the marketplace and then put in jail. He and Silas were. That's when they, an earthquake broke out and their chains fell off. And the Philippian jailer comes running in there, and, and he finds them. And then, and then Paul leads the jailer and his whole family to Christ and baptizes them. That was one of the jails. And another time is when he's, he's jailed in Jerusalem, and they carry him up to Caesarea by the sea, and he, he appears before Festus, the Roman governor, and he's in jail that season. And then we know he's in jail uh, under house arrest, and maybe in, uh, in Rome, and maybe a, even a fourth time. But uh, according to Clement I, who was a first century church father who wrote about this, he, he knew of seven imprisonments that Paul had endured. And perhaps Andronicus and Junia had been part of one of those. We're not sure, but Paul says that they had endured imprisonment with him. And he says they're well known by the apostles, these two guys. They're not well known to us. It's the only time I see them in the Bible. But the, the other apostles knew these guys. And it says, he's got one other thing he's got to say about them. And they were in Christ before me. They were believers before I was. And so these are things he's saying about them. He holds them in high esteem. And just kind of looking through all these. These fellow workers who endured hardship together. Um, he mentions Epinatus, who he says was, in, was uh, the first uh, believer in Asia to believe in Christ. It literally says in the Greek, first fruits of those who believed Christ in Asia. Now this is Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, and it's probable that Paul led him to Christ. We never forget the first one, right? And so this is probably one of Paul's first people who came to Christ, Epinatus. And now he lives in Rome, and so Paul's talking to him. He talks of Mary who worked hard. He, he talks of, of many others that, that were beloved to him. Uh, Aristobulus, it is believed, was the brother of Barnabas. And so he's living in Rome now, and, and he, he says hello to him. He might have passed away because he doesn't say hello to him personally. He says, greet his family. 
So maybe he's passed away or maybe he's not living there right now. He goes through several of these. Uh, narcissist, Herodian. Then he's got Tryphena and Tryphosa. I'm just guessing these are twin sisters. I don't know. This sounds like, if you're looking for names, if you're expecting twins, here's a good couple of names for girls. Tryphena and Tryphosa, probably sisters. They were hardworking. I've already mentioned that Persis means Persian woman. And so he, uh, he commends her for this, that she was beloved. Then he mentions Rufus. And of all the names I had to pronounce, that was the one most familiar to me. He just seems like somebody lived down the street when I was living up in the mountains. Like, hey, there. hey Rufus, what's up? And, uh, but it's not the only time he's mentioned in the Bible. Uh, it's, a, it's a great probability that his father was a well-known person named Simon of Cyrene. Do you remember Simon of Cyrene in the Bible, in the Gospels? Remember that guy? You know who this guy was? He was from the city of Alexandria, which is a city in Africa, in Egypt. So this man was probably a man of color. Probably an African-American, Simon of Cyrene. And it goes on in the book of Mark to say he was the father of Alexander and Rufus. Now listen, that's, that can't be an accident. The name Rufus twice in the Bible, it's got to be this guy. Now Simon of Cyrene, you got, who was Simon of Cyrene? He's the guy when Jesus was carrying the cross on the Via Dolorosa and he fell down under its weight, the Roman soldiers grabbed a man out of... Out of the crowd, his name was Simon of Cyrene from Alexandria. And he picked that cross up and he walked beside Jesus up the hill Golgotha. And you, you want to know something that I think has just got to be the most incredible, wonderful thing? Is he went home and told his boys. And he named one of them after the city they were from, Alexander, and the other he named Rufus. I don't know why he named him Rufus, but he did. And these boys grew up hearing the story about how their daddy carried that cross part way up that hill. And now he's one of the guys. And not only is he one of the guys that, that the Apostle Paul commends here, but he commends the guy's mother. Because apparently Paul had been over to their house when they were living somewhere besides Rome and had some chicken soup made by his mama, and he just still remembers her as being like a mother to him. And so we see Paul going through this list. We, we don't have time to go through every single name. Uh, some of the names we can't find anywhere else, and, and, uh, but I will say that a few of them are, few more of them are of interest, like, like uh, philologus, which means lover of the word. Phileo means lover and Logos means word, so that name just means loves the word. I don't know if that was always their name or it was a name given to them when they uh, were baptized. You know, there's still a tradition in many parts of the world that when someone is baptized, they're given a Christian name, a new name. And so maybe that was the case here with uh, Philologus. And so we see that possibility. Olympus is one who still, uh, this is, a, this is a one person who is regarded in the Eastern Orthodox Church to this day as being one who was martyred uh, for uh, his faith. And so we look at these, these many names that Paul has listed. Why are they commended? Why has Paul commended them? It's for their hard work. Remember what Jesus had uh, written to the churches in Re the book of Revelation. This is to the church at Ephesus. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown 
weary. We know that Jesus commends those who endure hardship and work hard for the Lord. It doesn't save you. Only Christ can save you. But serving Him and working hard for Him are commended. It says in 2 Timothy chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is trying to build Timothy up to endure hardship. He says, But you, keep your head in all situations. Endure hardship. Do the work of an evangelist. Discharge all the duties of your ministry. One of the things that, that we're called to as believers is to endure hardship together and to look at one another and saying, you know what, we're in this together. We, uh, sometimes you're going through a hard season and we help you and sometimes uh, I'm going through a hard season or someone else is and we help them. But we go through it together. Uh, we, we don't push away from the table when things get hard. We're called uh, to endure hardship together as believers. I remember growing up that my grandfather, I spent summers with him on the farm, and he didn't have a great education. He, he, he would say, I only finished the second primer. He was born in 1903, and I think he was referring to the McGuffey reader that had a second-level reader. And so his dad took him out of school so often to work on the farm that he said he was like 12 years old, and he was still in the second reader the second primer, so he finally quit school. And so all he knew was hard work. He worked 30 years in the coal mines and then 20 years as a school bus driver and worked on the farm the whole time. So when I would spend summers with him, it was to work hard. Get up at 4 a.m., milk cows, come in, eat breakfast, then go to the fields. And I thought it was the best thing in the world. Uh, it, looking back on it now, I'm like, that was hard work. But at the time, there was such joy of working with my grandfather. And just learning firsthand... Uh, what it feels like to work hard and endure hardship together and to do it with joy, it made he and I so close. And if you've ever been through something together where you had to endure some hardship to get through it, your friends, your family for life. And so we're called to this, to greet one another as fellow workers who endure hardship together. We can learn to greet one another as family, as fellow servants, and as fellow workers in the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and we first of all give you praise and glory that you've adopted us into your family because of Jesus. And so, Lord, help us to live that life out towards one another. Help us to be devoted to one another, loving one another. Help us to faithfully serve one another. And, Lord, help us to endure hardship together, recognizing uh, that we're called to a good work. Uh, Lord, I do pray for that person that's here this morning that's never received you. If that's you, my friend, if you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never been adopted into God's family, the invitation is before you. All you must do is by faith receive Him. Ask Him to save you. You can do it right now. Pray like this, Dear Lord Jesus, you can do it right in your seat. Dear Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. I believe you died on the cross for my sins and that you were raised from the grave and that you live today. Come and live in me. Forgive me of my sin and make me uh, a child of God. I want you as my Lord and Savior. I'm ready to follow you and commit my life to you today. If you're praying that prayer of faith believing, he will save you and make you a child of God. Others are here today and you're not, you're not that committed yet. You've been kind of standing on the sidelines. But right now, would you say, Lord, I'm a believer, 
but I'm lonely and I'm, I'm not connected, but today I've made a decision. I want to I be in a community group, a small group. I want to serve on a service team. I, I want to I be involved with uh, generosity and giving so I can be uh, a patron of your family. I, I want to be one who supports. Lord, forgive me for where I've been, but I, today I make a new fresh commitment as a follower of Jesus. We pray all these things now. In Christ's name, amen.